G'day, frother. Welcome to the Noob Spiro Podcast. My name is Shrek, and I interview spearfishing legends from around the planet. Today, it's Glenn Sadler. He is, who is he? He's a, he's a crazy ocean-going rower, basically. And uh, he's one heck of a storyteller. He's a formal Royal Marines commando and loves his spearing. He says he's he's pretty new to the spearing game, but uh, but I'll, I'll give him a bit more credit than that. I, I, he's into it, and he definitely froths out on it. And um, he's starting a company where basically he's going to combine two of his passions, ocean rowing, which is like you're on a four-man rowboat, and you go on an expedition and you spear along the way. Um, by the end of this episode, I'm absolutely chomping at the bit to jump in and have a go at this. He's a one heck of a storyteller. I hope you enjoyed today's interview as well. Before we get into it with Glenn Sadler, aka Snowy, aka Adventures Permier on Instagram, I wanted to bring something to your attention. 99 Spirit Recipes has been flying out the door for the past two months. If you haven't got yourself a copy, give yourself a quick uppercut. Uh, but don't knock yourself out because you need to go to noobspero.com and grab yourself a copy. If you if you can't do that, you, maybe you're international and the shipping is just too hectic, jump on at amazon.com or Amazon, wherever you are in the world. You can get a copy there. I would prefer it most of all if you went into your local spearfishing retailer and got a copy from them. But um, also, uh, we need to get into and chat about the Blue Water World Cup, held in Baja. Individuals and teams welcome an action-packed Baja. It's running from July 1st to 5th, 2023, and we've got three full competition days. The full moon is on July the 3rd. There's four nights accommodation, all meals, tons of swag, heaps of prizes. You can even bring non-diving friends at a discounted rate. You get to go out on a boat armed with a captain who has been fishing the area for years and has his own secret spots. The captains compete about putting the divers on the best fish and bringing it all home at the end of the day. It's a fantastic thing. Palapas Ventana, the Blue Water World Cup, you need to get there. It's uh, it's an event unlike any other on our spearfishing calendar. I would highly encourage you to do that. Check it out. Um, Patreon is going off. I've got 44 frothing legends at patreon.com. Uh, Andrew sent me a suggestion. I needed to add a lower tier to the membership. There is now you can jump on and become a patron for as little as $1 per episode. Throw some food, uh, some, some food. <laughs> Verbal slip there, Freudian slip. Throw some food at Shrek or some fuel in the Noob Spirit Outboard. Keep powering this podcast and helping it move forward. But for now, hey, let's get into it. Glenn Sadler, a.k.a. Snowy, Adventures Premier. Here we go. Ocean going rowing and spearfishing. Shop for your spearfishing gear at adreno.com.au in-store and online. You can use the code NoobSpiro to save 20 bucks on any purchase, over $200. Why would you shop with Adreno, I hear you say? Well, <clears throat> let me lay it out. Flat rate shipping, $9.99 on all orders hassle free returns policy australia price match guarantee shop now pay later with afterpay fully sick brands huge obnoxiously ginormous range of great spearfishing gear made just for legends like you go adreno go pro don't be slow shop massive spearing gear at adreno I'll stop, Shrek. That's a no-no. But seriously, shop with the Noob Spiro's longest-running partner, Adreno. Head to adreno.com.au online or in-store at their huge mega stores. Use the code Noob Spiro to save 20 bucks on any purchase over $200. 
Buying gear online can be tricky. You ask yourself the same questions. Will it arrive on time? Is it actually what I want? How much is the shipping going to cost? Great news, the name you can trust is Neptonics. Neptonics have route package protection, basically insurance on your gear so you can have peace of mind. Free shipping to the lower 48 when you spend $199 or more. Clear, transparent communication on shipping time and most gear ships in two days. They also have my favorite, a no BS returns policy. That's right, no BS. And it's all backed by one of the strongest names in spearfishing. And it finishes with tonics. And it's not gin and tonic, it's Neptonics. Solid gear that works. Visit Neptonics, buy tough gear. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10%. That's right, use the code NOOB10, N-O-O-B-10, to save 10% on your order at neptonics.com. G'day, Noob Spirit community. Today I'm joined by my fellow frother, Glenn Sadler from Wales. He's uh, is a bit of a madman, though. He does something a little bit different. It's uh, it's It's big ocean crossings in a sort of a purpose-built rowboat. Is that right, Glenn? Have I got that right? Yeah, or, or ocean rowing. You could have just simplified it there. <laughs> I don't like to simplify yeah. things. Like the beautiful of a long-form <laughs> podcast is I can express myself in these really cabbage long sentences and my guests just have to put up with it. So sorry in advance. <laughs> well, just uh, just a slight correction. Um, although I'm based in Wales, I'm actually from North Yorkshire. I don't think we're doing anybody any favours by... Uh, Calling me Welsh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so although my name is Welsh and uh, my my sort of I think my uh, grandfather is Welsh as well, but he started his own like Welsh breeding cro- program in North Yorkshire <laughs> yeah. about a few years ago. There's a thing with the Welsh and sheep too, isn't there? It's a bit like Kiwis and sheep down here, is it? Or is that? Is I it- guess so. Yeah, there's, they've got a lot of sheep there. Um, is that why you offered the not- disclaimer? <laughs> <laughs> So you're an ex-military man. I tend to get on really well with ex-military people because it tends to be my background as well. Both my parents were officers in the New Zealand Army, but they started off from different corps. And then I worked in a in a correctional environment with a lot of ex-military people. And um, so I'm interested to unpack a little bit of your military background and how it sort of um, plays into your spearfishing and your and your ocean rowing. Like, tell us a little bit about your, I guess, your story. Yeah. So. Um I'm now 41 years old, but uh, back in 1999, the age of 17, I joined the Royal Marines um, as a boy. Yeah, and uh, uh, it, it's it's known as as one of the longest infantry training uh, in the world. It's 32 weeks long, and there's a like six week commando phase at the end of it. By which time you you win after completion, you win your green berry, and uh, yeah, so served for nine years. Did a did a couple of tours in Afghanistan, one in Iraq. But I think the, the lessons I learned right from a sort of 17-year-old boy um, have, have held in good stead for me right the way through my, my life, um, especially uh, in ocean rowing and, and spearfishing. And I think it may as well be worth mentioning now, but there's a sort of like an ethos that we stick to as, as Marines. And it's, uh, it's a commando spirit. And it's sort of like four major things. You've got courage, determination, unselfishness and cheerfulness in the face of adversity. I think you don't need to be a commando to, you know, um, 
display those attributes. But mm. I think certainly in spearfishing, the uh, unselfishness side of things in terms of, you know, you've got this buddy-buddy system and that translates across to ocean rowing as well. Um, so just a, a bit on ocean rowing, in 2018, I rowed 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean mm. with uh, three other uh, friends. And um, uh, one of the main things on, on, on that is that you, you, you think about the three other people that are on board and not about yourself. And that way, if everybody's doing that, you've always got three people thinking about you and, and looking after you, after you. So I think spearfishing-wise, that translates really well as to um, the buddy-buddy system. You know, if you're, you're thinking about them, they know you're thinking about them while they're down there and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I've learned, it taught me a lot of lessons and I've, I've dragged them across and, and hopefully they're, they're related and they'll keep me in good stead, yeah. Yeah, awesome, awesome. I noticed one of your Instagram posts, you, um, you were talking about a mental health um, campaign basically for serving Royal Marines and veterans as well. It's called lifting the lid. The lid is like a like a sort of a high up term for people that have you know achieved their green beret. Are you familiar with what a lid means in the Australian military? No, I, I, I'm, I'm not. A lid is like a like a, a you know like a, a useless person like just starting. So it's funny how like the same term is used in different militaries differently, you know? So it was, it was, it was interesting to read that. Tell me yeah, little- to, to, to be fair, that could translate just, just the same because if you've got a useless person, it's going to take someone else to lift them to, yeah. to, to bring to bring them, you know, in line with everybody else. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Lifting the lid is essentially a, a Marine, your, your beret, your green beret is, is, you call it your lid and uh, lifting the lid, I think sort of a, a not to say, you know, uh, take off that beret and expose yourself and, uh, um, speak your mind, you know, to talk to people and, and tell people what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Uh, and it's obviously when you put that green beret on, you, you've been taught right from the start that you are the bee's knees and and you, you sort of maybe less inclined to show any signs of weakness. So it's just a bit of like mindset, really. So sort of like, hang on, just take that lid off and, and let's have a chat about what's going on. Yeah. Do you think in cultures that pursue high performance, um, particularly in a, in a male hemisphere, do you think that it always creates these ego problems? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, uh, I, I, used to, I used to go to a, a gym with a guy who was who I served with, and um, one of his big things on 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 the uh, wall outside his gym was leave your ego outside the door. And when you go in there, you know there's, there's sort of no egos. But um, I think always. Uh, we always used to think that um, it doesn't matter what, what what berries on your head; it's what's underneath that counts, you know. Mm. And um, but yeah, I think with the male side of things, there's always that battle for sort of domination in the group and and stuff like that. And to, it might be a, a youth thing as well, you know. As you get older, you're sort of a bit more respectful to people, and uh, not everybody wants to be a all singing, all dancing like Royal Marines commando and and yeah. stuff like that. People have different standards and different abilities and you get yeah you get you get your head around that as you get older I think yeah I'd agree I'm the same age as you I'm 41 as well 42 this year um and it, life does change you know like there is a lot to the psychological literature like testosterone's in decline maybe we're able to think a little bit more clearly and you, you're able to get some perspective on some of the ego stuff but I don't know some people do it younger too you know and some people don't figure it out again till they're much older as well and some people never figure it out so it's a it's a good discussion to have. What along this lines, and we're digressing a wee bit, but I, I yeah. want to unpack this this idea of the mental health and 
and what your understanding of effective programs. And then I also want to talk about useless people and helping them because you encounter them all the time in life and you encounter them in spearfishing. Um, let's start with the mental health side of things first. Um, this program, this lifting the program, is it effective and what, 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 what is an effective way to help people with their mental health or support them? To, to be fair, it, it's um, lifting the lid program. It, it's uh, it's part of the Royal Marines charity, and, and to be honest, I, I don't have much to do with um, uh, what, what's going on and what what their their program uh, relates. Uh, but from from my own side, I think um, spearfishing has been a great help for me uh, and my mental health, um, just because I think it takes me back to uh, putting myself in a. a well, I don't know what the, the conditions are like for you guys out there, but out here it, it can be quite an arduous undertaking, getting in the water and and, and finding fish um, and sort of carrying all your gear. A lot of the places I'm going to, so, you know, steep cliffs, difficult access, and you've got all your, your lead weights, all your gear, and hopefully you're bringing back up some fish and heavy wet wetsuits and everything. So it, it it's a bit of a sort of military undertaking for me, and that's how I see it. Mm. And it sort of brings me back to, to, to what I used to do in my youth and things and it when you sort of come back up the cliff after a, a three or four hour dive or whatever it is and you look back and you think yeah it was all it was worth it and it, that's it I'm mentally reset good to go yeah but no I think it, the, the the mental health side it, it's becoming a lot more prevalent it was there was no such thing when I joined um in the sort of late 90s uh it was a sort of um taboo you didn't talk about it and it's since like Afghanistan and and, and um, the sort of prevalence of PTSD in veterans and, and things like that, it's come to light more, and people are talking more about it, which is only a good thing. Mm. Um, but I think if uh, if I can help by spread the word of how spearfishing has, has helped me, and it's such a great sport for military guys, you know, it's it's just natural. It, it fits in with everything you've been taught and and it, how you go about things. And so, yeah, I think hopefully that will help. Love it. All right. And um, I've forced I've, we've forced I've forced you to digress a fair, fair bit. Well, we're yeah, going to circle yeah. back to some of your local uh, Welsh spearfishing conditions and stuff. I'm looking forward to unpacking a bunch of this stuff. Useless people, though. Um, useless people are everywhere in life. And generally, like, we call them useless uncharitably, but the idea is that they don't have some of these internal characteristics that make them useful in most of the contexts we find ourselves in. Most of the time, we're not using it in a nasty way. However, sometimes mm-hmm. like we use shame as a tool to help people to become aware about things and then hopefully they change themselves. It's a pretty poor technique, but it's one that I fall, fall foul of all the time. How do you, like, you've been in a military context, you've been in a rowing context, you've been in a spearfishing yeah. context. How do you help these people? It's Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, it, uh, again, I think experience helps with that um, because unless you're put into a situation where you're dealing with a so-called useless person, it's uh, it's hard to know how to deal with a, a particular individual. But um, yeah, horses for courses, and yeah. in a military sense, yeah, shame can work sometimes. You know, you tell people to get a grip, or um, uh, and, uh, and sometimes the worst punishment is is no punishment. You know, um, if you sort of I would always find that in in a training sense, if if a member of the team comes out and you've disappointed them, and they'll just say, "Right, fine, um, you owe me ten minutes or whatever," and that was it. They don't shout at you, but I wish you'd just have shouted. You know, then it's all over. And now it's like, 
10 minutes, when, when's that going to happen? Is he going to wake us up tonight? Or, you know, so it's sort of different ways of approaching things. And it, ocean rowing wise, God, it's that's very difficult because you're in the middle of an ocean. If something's not working right, then there's only so many things you can do. And one of those things, probably shame is, is not a great way to go about ah. it because you've got to live on board this tiny eight meter by one and a half meter boat with this person for the next however many weeks. And uh, yeah, th- those relationships are pretty fractious as it is. So you've got to be you've got to be careful with your approach. But yeah, you do get people that just can't uh, they, they can't get a grip, and they physically need showing, or uh, and then it's sort of like the encouragement side of things. You know, pick up on the the positives that they're doing. Yeah, uh, or finish on a positive as well. You know, I think that's a good one. I've I've been in both situations, so I'm not using the word useless as some completely negative pejorative. Yeah, but, no, I get, I get what you're saying, yeah. But we've all been in that spot where we've had to dig deep and discover something that we didn't immediately realise that we had. And, I mean, that's that sort of that sweet spot where sometimes you're almost like a little bit drowning and it forces this character growth that, you know, on the other side of it, we appreciate it and we look back and we enjoy it. And I think if you go through tough stuff, it makes you a more interesting, well-rounded person and you actually you like yourself more because you went and did something. To help someone else, I'm using the term useless uncharitably, but what we're really trying to do is unpack some tools to help each other, I guess, when we're in the midst of those things. Sometimes it's like, yeah, spotting small things and then trying to really yeah. speak to those positive yeah. things and, and kindle that That's flame. It. But it's a, it's a it's a weird game. It's a and it's a like with kids as well, it's a, it's another important one. Yeah. But taking people out spearfishing, yeah. it's another thing, you know, like a lot of the time with a teaching people in a class it's just about convincing them that they're capable of it and that their body actually knows exactly how to do this thing and you know yeah. like your main job is just to relax and simply just trust the process and um but our brains sometimes just get in the way of us doing this stuff so and i'd imagine like with rowing you know resilience is a massive part of it you're crossing three thousand miles across the atlantic you're not going to be able to do that unless you have a fair measure of resilience yeah, it's it's um it's definitely a, a mental game um in in the long run. I think uh, so. Just a bit of background on the on the ocean row. Myself and uh, at least two of the other guys in our team, two years prior to the race, because it, it was a race, um, we were complete non rowers. Um, <laughs> I was what was I thirty? You know, I was thirty five at the time. Um, the other guys were of a similar age, so we had to literally go on a rowing machine. And uh, learn how learn the technique on on how to row on a rowing machine before we touch the boat. And so, two year campaign. By the time we get to to rowing, it, it, there's nothing there's nothing more we can do at the start line. Now we've every, we've had that two year period to learn as much as we can about rowing technique and, and things like that. But there's so many other aspects to ocean rowing in terms of just looking after yourself. You know, there's so many things to deal with, and some of that stuff you can't train for. You know, you've got to either have it in you or have enough life experience that you can lean upon to, to drag you through it. And just a, a few examples of, of the issues you're dealing with. Um, the, the first one is, is leaving land and leaving safety. Um, because once you're on that boat and you've left the start line, you could be there for 30, 40, 50, 60 days, you know, as a four man team, even longer if you're a solo rower and you need to take everything with you that, for any scenario through A to Z that you could possibly think of and rowing away from this small piece of land, the Canary Islands, we left uh, um, it, it's, oh, it's such an absolute 
mindfuck. You know, that's the only way I can explain it. It's you're leaving safety, you're leaving the nice bars that you were probably frequenting the the, the nights before, family, friends, nice warm shower, amazing food. And the safety is the big one because you've sort of big this thing up for the last two years. And in order to get like corporate sponsorship, you've been telling them all the bad stuff and all the challenges, like we're going to be coming across 20 foot, 30 foot waves and the conditions, you know, we could basically people die doing this, you know, that people have died uh, crossing ocean. So it's, and then that all just suddenly falls upon you on the first sort of few row strokes oh. as you leave the start line. You're like, and I, I I'll, I'll put it to, which which maybe a lot of the other rowers won't have experienced, but the only thing I can put it in is 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 being in battle when I was in the Marines and and that fear beforehand and just uh, and and I don't know how I don't know how I managed that at, at, at the age of sort of like my sort of mid twenties, but I, I did. I think the training just took over and and you got on with the job and you have got people that are relying on you and I guess it's the same in the ocean rowing. You've got your fellow teammates relying on you and. Um, yeah, you've just got to to get on with it because it it would be so easy to go. Actually, do you know what? This is not for me. <laughs> but um, you've got to overcome that, and uh, you've got people relying on you. The old buddy buddy system again kicks in, and uh, and you're aware. Yeah. So for the next sort of thirty days, you're you're on your own. Uh, there's no support. You've got everything on board. You've you've got your own body weight's worth of freeze dried rations, mm-hmm. which you're gonna uh, re sort of hydrate with the water that you make on board you, you the routine is brutal the first five days are probably the worst so in order to maintain um the boat's motion you've got to keep rowing all the time somebody's got to have them always moving all the time and the routine is two hours on two hours off yeah so you, you're rowing rowing for two hours and and resting for two hours now you might think oh well that's that's 12 hours sleep a day that you know that's great like, it isn't uh so you, in that two hour period off you've got your own admin to to sort out you know you've got to make sure you've got rid of all the the salt from your body so you don't get builds up of salt sores you've got to feed yourself you need to consume ten thousand calories per day Holy which sounds God. amazing but it, it's it's a mission you know you you don't want to eat because you just want to sleep but you've got to get that food into you because people are relying on you and then there's just just other bits and bobs you need to make sure you you're maintaining your correct course and that's all dialed in and, and all 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 this sort of stuff, as well as maintaining the boat itself every now and again. So you're probably lucky if you get an hour, an hour and a half kip between rowing. Yeah. And that that's a mental um, shift you need to make and you can't train for unless you're doing it for long periods, which we put it akin to if you're having a baby, you don't uh, – you don't train by waking yourself up randomly in the middle of the night for the next six months so that you're ready <laughs> when, the ba- when the baby turns up. Uh, to be honest, I think that would be a really good app to yep. put people off, you know, just an app that wakes you up and you can't turn it off we've already, for an hour. We've already <laughs> got a dramatically decreasing global population as if we need that yeah. added thing. The, the body's got yeah. these delightful things in it to, to make women even forget the pain of childbirth oh, and all of God. the awful shit you go through. Um, I know. Does something similar happen with rowing? Do you remember the struggle, or is it like, is it like you know, like a lot of painful memories where you go through stuff? You, you there's a glow on it, but the subsequent, you know, the yeah, the associated pain and trauma from it. If trauma, maybe I'm using the wrong word, but you know, there's suffering involved. Do, do you, does, no, it's there's both pain and trauma involved yeah. in ocean rowing for sure. Mm. But it's no, it's a great that's a great point because 
I'm a father of two children and, you know, I think you are sort of amazed that like, I can't believe you're doing this again, you know, for the second time. Yeah. What, what I saw on the first time looked horrendous <laughs> and we're doing it again. What are we doing? But I think what was weird was Duncan. So just to mention the guys on the rowing boat, we had uh, myself, Duncan Roy, who's a, who was a, a, a Royal Engineer, a sapper at the time, Will Quornby, who was uh, a friend of Duncan's. But at the time, he was a coffee shop manager. Um, and uh, made the the best brownies and and uh, banana loaf. And Fraser was was a serving technician in the RAF, so we had like three services and and a, and a civvy, if you like. And um, whilst we were building up the campaign to do our row, Duncan had been asked if he'd like to join another team to do a row the year before. Which at the time we weren't the rest of the team weren't particularly happy with because we we were putting so much effort into our campaign and we thought this would detract and distract but actually it turned out to be um a, a really a really important part of the campaign and and, and uh, an important lesson for us to learn through Duncan and um so he'd he'd done a row uh, the year before and I don't know whether Duncan needs to work on his uh, descriptive abilities but he did not he did not uh, tell us how bad it was going to be <laughs> deliberately bad yeah. Deliberately? Did he deliberately not tell you? I don't. I don't know. I just don't, yeah. don't know whether he. Maybe he didn't think it was, but it was bad. It was really bad. The yeah. first five days, trying to get your body into having a nice eight to ten hours kip a night. To, I don't know what you sleep. It's they call it polyphasic sleeping. Yeah. So it's many phases of of, of like small sleep, and so you, you have to work your body out of that. Expecting four or five hours sleep to know you're going to get an hour here. And two hours and then you're going to try and get another hour here and it's just you don't know whether you're coming or going um you, you start hallucinating you start waking up and getting all your gear on because you're conscious that you don't want to ever be late on those oars you know that guy's put two hour shift in he's got to get off on time you've got to get on and straight into it because he needs his rest and food and stuff so you're like oh God, i'm gonna get out and you you open the cabin door and they're like what are you doing like, i'm coming on shift like you've got another hour mate and you're just like, what? Oh God! I've just woken up an hour early. And I, <laughs> you just you don't know where you are and what you're doing. Yep. And then um, the seasickness as well. Uh, I've I've never struggled with seasickness. I've been in the military before assault squadron. I was on small landing craft and uh, and these boats are they're flat bottomed and you know you're out in all sorts of conditions. Never been seasick in my life. Will and Fraser struggled in training quite badly with seasickness. I think they were sort of quite scared about what was going to happen uh, leaving land and, and going across the ocean. But uh, Will was fine. Fraser was a bit sick. I was seasick for five days nonstop. And I, it, it really, really, I struggled with that because uh, you need the energy and trying to keep stuff down. And I couldn't. So I was eating just these tinned peaches. I don't know if you get them out there. Just yeah. the, they're, easy, they're easy to go down, but they're also easy to come up. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's the logic behind that and yeah it's it's a it's a it's a brutal undertaking and um it, but going back to the uh would you do it again you know like the pain sort of thing it, it's forgettable it, when you're in it you're sort of like this is the worst thing i've ever experienced i don't think i ever want to do this again but the finish line and that feeling of crossing the finish line it's just yeah, it feels like your body's lifting off the floor. You feel like you're floating, wow. and um, striking those flares across the finish line in Antigua. <laughs> you know, it's just so. I'll, just, just the sort of you've been at sea for. It, it took us 39 days to do the crossing, 
and you've been at sea for 39 days and uh, you've not seen anything, you've seen nothing, maybe the odd boat, and we'll, we'll get into one, one of those meetings in a bit, but um, you, you, you can see land, and that's amazing. You're like you, you can see land for the first time, you know you're nearly there, and then you can smell it. You can smell the earth, and that's like, because all you've smelled is salt water for the last 30-odd days, and you can smell the earth from the land, which is such a strange thing. And uh, anyway, we came in at, at night. We didn't couldn't sort of, we could see the lights, couldn't quite tell how close we were, and then this sort of boat comes along and the blue lights, it's the, you know, the, the coastal patrol from Antigua. And this, uh, this guy hangs out the back. He's like, welcome to Antigua. <laughs> we were like, woo. <laughs> and then we get round to the, get round to the finish line and we thought, what's that music? There's people having a party and they're all like, they're all been waiting for us. You know, they know we're coming. They've been watching our little dot cross the map oh. and, uh, they're all shouting from the cliffs and stuff like it was just oh, absolutely amazing. And then when we crossed the finish line, um, the sort of uh, head safety officer Ian Couch lights the flare to say you've crossed the finish line oh, so wicked. that was it just let go of those oars we was, all four of us stood up we all struck these red flares and we're standing there everybody cheering we've got jet skis <laughs> spinning us round and then and then we get taken into the, the harbour where there's friends and family and, and other ocean rowers which was oh god it, it, the connection with these people we've only known them for 12 days in, at the start line mm but they've just been through everything we've been through. And it's such a weird feeling to be out in the middle of the ocean and, and knowing these other people out there. And there's quite a, a degree of concern for them. You know, it's, it's like they're your family. You know, oh God, I hope those, those guys are all right on that boat. Where are they at the minute? You know, and, and then you see them at the end at the finish line and, and you're sort of hugging and, oh, it's an unbelievable experience. So all of that so outweighs the, the pain and trauma and stuff. It's, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It must be what it's like to win a, a World Cup or a, you know, winner win in the Ashes. <laughs> it's something like I reckon, like a lot of people never experience in life. It's like the the really special things in life are saved for those people that will do the really hard things. I think it's like yeah, for sure. There's some sort of profound saying. I think it's like without without great struggle, there there can't be great victory or something like that. I, for sure. I'm, I'm just yeah, the kind harder of, the struggle, the better the victory. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, when definitely. when you're when you're speaking, I'm hearing that for sure. So yeah, honestly, it brings such emotion to me. I, I it, it's um, you do just want to. You don't know what you want to do. You want to burst into tears. You want to, you know, uh, shout with joy. And some of the the funny things getting off the boat. Um, so you've been at sea for 39 days, and Duncan again is is this descriptive. Uh, abilities when you get off the boat you, you've got sea legs yeah. you know and um you sort of think oh what are you a bit bit wobbly he's like yeah yeah a bit a bit wobbly yeah <laughs> <laughs> you, get off the boat, you get off the boat it's like fraser got off first and um i'll, I'll put the I'll, I'll try and find the video of the finish line i was just getting off on, on my instagram people yeah. can see it. I'll, I'll forward it on to you yeah and uh I'll fraser, fraser gets off and he almost falls straight back in the boat and i was like Fuck off! Come on, it's there's no way it's that bad. And uh, anyway, I get off and I was like, whoa! And I, I felt like I had to crouch on the floor and hold onto the floor because the, the world was moving. Shit! Uh, and I was like, because you, you, I don't know whether your 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 ears or you know your balance or whatever it is. I was like, oh my god! And I didn't think it was going to stop. I, I was sort of a bit panicky. And then Fraser's mum, no, so what's Fraser? It's Fraser's wife's mother grabbed me and and hugged me. And I've, I think I've maybe met her once before, and uh, which was nice because I didn't have any family uh, at the finish line. 
Um, but she wouldn't let go. And I was like, this is starting to get a little bit weird. Like, but they were told, they were told when you get, when the guys come off the boat, like uh, give them a hug, but don't just like let go of them. Cause they'll just, they'll just go. <laughs> they'll just hit the deck because they're not used to like flat land or a, a, a stable platform. We've been on this little rocky boat for last thing. And that was just bizarre. And that lasted for about three days for me. Wow. Um, so we went from the, the finish line. We got our first meal, a burger and chips and a beer, which was just amazing. <laughs> and uh, the next thing, because we've obviously been on this tiny boat, Will and I, we didn't have anywhere to stay. And, and, and Fraser was staying for a bit longer. So Will and I went to uh, Fraser's place and we, we both slept in this double bed together. But compared to this tight cabin where we've been touching each other, touching each other's sweaty legs for the last uh, 39 days, it felt like we were just in this huge open space. We were just sat there staring out the window for about three hours. You'd think we'd just go to sleep, but we just the whole experience was just so overwhelming. Oh, and, yeah. and the trip, the trip to the um, to, to to his uh, hotel or whatever, that was so strange. We got in a car and they drove thirty miles an hour, and it felt like we were doing the speed of light. It was so <laughs> strange. It was almost like panicky. Like, can we uh, can we slow down a bit, please? And she's like, I'm only doing thirty. And I don't know if it's because we've just been doing a constant three or four knots for the past month and a bit that this this honestly felt and everything was like just so overwhelming. Like yeah, a big yeah. truck go past you, be like, oh! it's just yeah, so so bizarre. I'm listening to you, and like I've never had an experience as as like as as amazing as this. Like, but I have disconnected from mainstream culture for about the same period of time. I walked um, the Camino. Do you know it? I've heard, I've heard of the Camino, yeah. So you walk across from France over the Pyrenees Mountains and then across northern Spain. There's a few parallels, but there's a, there's a lot that are not. But, but one thing is like, the, the, I think one thing I can relate to is like disconnecting from our normal lives and then plugging back in. It's like, I don't know, it's just that's another reset, a type of reset. Like you are yeah. talking about spearfishing being a type of reset before for your mental health. Like doing these sorts of these you know, I think historically people have always done them. You know, they've had sojourns and they've, you know, like the Aboriginal people have walkabout and I think yeah, all pilgrimages the, and yeah, yeah, pilgrimages yeah. like that. They're yeah. awesome, and that, that was your own form yeah. of oceanic pilgrimage. And then yeah. you got out. And what were some of the other sort? Oh, of, you've just given me the best name for a book there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, go for it, go for it. Oceanic pilgrimage. There you go. Yeah, well, no, well, it, well, it sounds like it. Like that's the only thing yeah, I can it compare does, it to. It does. Life. I mean, it's so one thing I think you sort of get into is is that, like you said, the, the disconnect and and the ocean itself is a very good way of of uh, stripping you back to your primal self. You know, um, yeah, okay, we're on this we're on this 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 fiberglass boat with sat phone and, and modern technology, but really you, you're on your own. You know. Um, the chances of somebody able to get to your boat if, if there's something happens, it's it could be a week, depending on the weather, you know. So um it's a sense of vulnerability and also you strip down to your bare bones when it's like emotionally and physically and emotion wise, it's because of the, the extreme situation you're in, very small things um can make you very angry, you know, you can sort of fly off the handle quite easily. Um and it's a difficult balance on the boat for sure. But then equally, just somebody might say something that is idiotic or and you, you'll just be in absolute creases of laughter and you just you won't even be able to row. It's, it's just so funny. And you're just like, 
why is that so funny? And I, I don't know. I'm just laughing because it, these mo- these emotions are like it's like a roller coaster. Yeah, it's it's it, and then the feeling at the end. <clears throat> I've never felt other than maybe like when my kids see my my child born stuff like that. That's the only thing I can sort of put it akin to. Yeah. Um, but it was worth everything. And I said to so Carsten Olsen, who's the the race organizer, who's been doing it for the last um, decade or so. Uh, I said, if anybody wants to to row an ocean, that's the way to do it. You know, people do it on their own, They're not part of the race. But there's no um, nobody's waiting for you at the end on the jetty. It might be you know one or two people, not a whole crowd of people cheering of, of this feat you've just done. And you know, yeah, that's that's a cool idea cameras. too. That's yeah. a great concept. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's the way to do it. You know. I just love a functional and simple spear gun that I can trust when I pull the trigger. Killshot spear guns utilize the finest of kiln-dried Burmese teak. Killshot spear guns also combine American-made parts and fine craftsmanship to bring you accurate, reliable, and simple spear guns that you can trust fish after fish. Get $30 off any Killshot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Uber. That's $30 off American-made performance. Spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. I'm really sorry for this terrible accent. Brought to you by Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. Ocean Guardian is the world's leading shark deterrent technology. And the great news is they're now partners with the Noob Spiro podcast. You can save 10% on the Freedom 7 or Scuba 7 when you shop at Ocean Guardian. Uh, use the code Noob Spiro at checkout to save 10%. If you want to go there, easy, super easy, go to noobspiro.com forward slash OG. Short for Ocean Guardian. Pretty original, eh? Pump in the code Noob Spiro and you'll save 10% on your Shark Shield device. Get into it. Get amongst it. Ocean Guardian are doing awesome things for Spiros. Hey guys, not sure how you stay hydrated out on the boats on those long days out on the water, Uh, but staying hydrated is absolutely critical to good equalization and looking after your body, making sure you're not doing those awkward one-legged kicks to the surface when when one leg cramps out on you. Go to aqualite.com.au and get yourself a box of sachets. You just simply add them to water. It's less than $1.28 per serve. It's cheaper and cheaper and healthier than any other sports drinks on the market. Aqualite will make a difference in your spearfishing. Check it out at aqualite.com.au. Use the code NoobSpiro to save 10% on any order. Check it out. Aqualite, made in Western Australia. Couple of things. Um, I, I, you know, people would be surprised if I didn't ask it. Um, Taking a shit. <laughs> oh, do you know what? The guys from the Spiro Hangout, I yeah. had to bring it up and I was like, I'm surprised you. It's like the first question people ask, yeah. how would you take a shit on board well, ocean rowing boat? That's like my favorite I mean, part of most stories, to be to be honest. Like <laughs> right, before we do it, before we do anything, before we get in the water and start spearfishing, where do we go for a shit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like part of the part of the dive plan, like the number yeah. one, right? I can get out here and do it there. Um, well, so over here where the water's warm. Like we, I don't wear the Farmer Johns with the leggings that come over anymore. I just wear oh, right. high, high waist pants, and yeah. uh, you get a cold flush. But I tell you what, boom, it's over and done with. And you're, you know, <laughs> I, I had to tell my brother-in-law the other day I was taking one, and it was bad. It was brown Mister Whoopy time, and it was, you know, like it was, it was the burly bomb. And uh, yeah. I said to him, bro, I'm just, 
swimming away. I got to take a shit. And he thought I was joking. He started swimming towards me. I was like, bro, I'm not, I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am 100% to. not joking. Because we were like, some, yeah, we're a mile off shore. There's yeah. some chumming going on right here, so yeah. <laughs> you need to back off. Right? But that, that's yeah, it's a good question. And to be honest, when we first every uh, week or so, you've got to get in the water and clean the boat because you're sort of picking up on like little barnacles, bits that are trying to get a free ride off you, and, and you're after every marginal gain you can get. So oh, we might gain like point zero one of a knot, but it's worth it because so you're going under, you scrape the boat, and uh, we're in the water, and, and Will took a took a shit. And he was just like, well, I just, you know, it, it's going there anyway. So he just pulled his pants down and did it. Um, but luckily we were like moving with the current. So we, we didn't catch it up. But normally you would take a shit like a normal person instead of Will Cornby. You, you get a bucket. You've got three buckets on board. You've got one for being sick in, one for washing the boat, and one for taking a shit in. And you, obviously you don't want to get those mixed up. But um, uh yeah, it's a bit weird because it, depending on where you are on the rowing boat, whether you're in stroke, they call it stroke position, which is like leading from the back of the boat, uh, or you're sort of following on behind, you'll just you'd be like, I need a shit, grab the bucket, and off you go. And so you could be rowing with somebody having a shit uh, half a meter in front of you, which wow. is not uh, it's not ideal. And then watching them wipe their ass and, and uh, <laughs> making sure they don't drop any shit anywhere on the boat and then yeah so you put a bit of water in the bucket first that's very important otherwise you've got a messy bucket to clean up and then chuck it over the overside and um it leads on nicely to uh like the wildlife in the atlantic so that sort of things apparently i've heard is just as good a dinner bell as uh blood uh, for for sharks and fish and stuff like that wow and we did we did get visited a lot by sharks uh we had quite a few sailfish which were amazing, uh, Dorado, tuna, uh, right up to the likes of you know whales and dolphins and things like that, and turtles. So you, you can't exactly just stop and pull up and jump over for a spear though, can you? Well, it's something I'd like to explore, but the, the, the main problem is, is, is just the safety. You know, you, when you get in the water to scrape the boat, you've got a lanyard, you're attached to the boat because you, you, your body isn't in a condition to be um exactly. having a leisurely swim or although it's very nice uh you you're losing you lose a lot of muscle um when you're rowing because if if you're not if you don't use it you'll lose it and and you, your calf muscles tend to turn to jelly and you're used to being sat down in a position you don't ever stand up because you don't want to fall off the boat so you sort of crouch down all the time and so the muscles that your body isn't using it's like well we don't need that and we by the sounds by the sounds of it we're in this survival situation yeah so we need to get we will just we'll keep the fat because we, we might need that we'll get rid of this muscle so you've got these like jelly calves and it's just it's bizarre but um yeah to, so to, to spearfish it, it's great i think for a, a, a from a survival perspective and it might be a, an amazing uh challenge but it's just the safety aspect that he's thinking about and if something happens you know if somebody gets a cut that's no big deal. But if, if something happens with a fish, I think the two years after our race, they, they, they run a race every year now, but uh, there was uh, marlin strikes on the boat and uh, one guy was in the in the aft cabin and the marlin, I think you get like little fish sort of hulling underneath the boat seeking shelter or they're after bits of food that you've thrown in or whatever it is. Yeah. And the marlin must have gone for a fish and smashed its beak straight through the hull <laughs> of the boat into the cabin oh. right next to this guy's leg so it like it could have been disastrous uh luckily it broke off 
and sort of sealed this massive hole in the boat. So the boat turned up in Antigua with this beak sticking in it. Holy and uh, it, yeah, it's happened a couple of times now. It's amazing. That's crazy. Jeepers. Yeah. So Get you your Kevlar underpants on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeepers, as if you don't have enough stories from that one adventure and then you got crazy stuff like this happening as well. Yeah. How do you think you could do it safely if you were going to do it? Would you have to have like a tether line to the boat for the spear gun and then a tether line to you as well? Um, Well, you could have it. Yeah. yeah, I think you couldn't have it on. You couldn't have it on a boy because it'd be gone, wouldn't it? You're very limited to your sort of maneuverability in terms of trying to get around to pick up the boy. So, yeah, two lines, I think, would be the only way to do it. You'd have a mermaid line, and then if you had a flash at the back of the boat, I mean, you know roughly where the fish are all going to be, and then yeah, it's not like you yeah. need to swim 100 metres away from the boat. You can just sort of hang no. off the back. Oh, yeah, they come right up to the boat, you know. They're curious about what's going on. And if you're throwing food out or whatever, they're like, oh, they're after it, yeah. Tell me about this boat. Like four, four men on a boat. How big's the boat? So, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's eight metres long and 1.5 metres wide. So it's it's and it's if you if you looked at it you've got you've got like a a, a bow cabin and a, a stern cabin and the, the the bow cabin's the sort of the the honeymoon suite if you like it's it's uh, you can fit maybe three people in there lying down you can sit up but you can't stand up so it's quite a squat boat um, and uh, the stern cabin when you get in you there's enough for two people but your legs are underneath the rowing positions back towards the front of the boat. Oh. So it's a bit like a coffin. It's a bit of a strange sort of sleeping position. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty small boat. And the you've got a couple of scubber holes just above the water. Uh, and then the rowing platform is slightly above that. So if you get any waves coming over, it's into the sort of in and out of the scubber holes, basically. Um, and a, a funny, funny story about Duncan on his first row, he'd, he'd, he'd gone for a, a, sh- a shit in the... I think it was him or one of his other teammates gone for a shit in a bucket and then poured it over the edge. But a, a wave came and like this, this <laughs> shit came back into the scupper and like down the length of the boat. And you just heard this, ah! Just everybody screaming like, get it out, get it out! Before it stuck to anything. So yeah, it's a pretty small, uh, I mean, and just doing anything is, is an epic nightmare. It's, just cooking a meal, you sort of sat there bobbing about trying to keep this water from spilling. Or get, you can put it in a gimbal, but it, it's just all nothing really works very well. Yeah. Um, and then if you want to get anything out, you have to stop rowing and someone's having to get in the hatch and remember where the rations are, whatever it is. It's just all really, really tight. And uh, yeah, but uh, I've, I've recently bought an ocean rowing boat. And this is a, it's a wood veil. Uh, four or five man boat and it's in need of refurbishment it's it's uh it's not done a full crossing it, it's done a, a partial crossing what happened was the guys left uh, the canaries i believe and they got a couple hundred miles away and the, the crew just just fell out and uh so they decided to pull into the verde islands and call it quits so it just goes to show you know that it not every it's not every crossing successful and even just getting on with each other is a, is a mammoth task and those that have done it, you know, good effort and to fair, you know, good effort to them for just understanding the situation and, and not continuing and calling it a day. It was probably the best thing to happen for them. So hopefully I'll have a bit more success with, with my boat, but it's similar size to, to ours. In fact, it's probably got a bigger, 
bigger sleeping space um, and it's a lot more low profile so it's great for coastal rowing 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 the atlantic is it's a different different ball game to say rowing around great britain because you leave in december so you, you've got the trade winds and the currents they're all pointing in that direction east yep. east to west pretty much I was ask but about you that. do get the exceptions you know of weather changes and you might be stuck out there but predominantly that's why you go in december because you've then got december january february march to get across before they start going into like hurricane season again um so yeah that's like the trade winds one route and so the 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 bow cabin uh, on a on a rannock boat is quite large and it can it's the quite flat bottom boat so when the wave builds up at the back um, it sort of throws you down the wave like a dart so you can yeah. be rowing along at three knots and you can see the wave building so you go okay I put the effort in you start rowing you start picking it up get ready and then oars out everybody's oars out picks up the back of the boat and just launches you down the wave wow. and you can get like six, 16 knots and Holy it's just moly. like Woo! <laughs> and it's like it's a bit akin to when Mario chucks down a mushroom and just zips off you know on the, <laughs> on the car and just get this weird feeling of like rushing of speed and you can feel it vibrating through the boat it's amazing it's really cool and you know you know you're getting three miles as well mm. so it's even better you know you've got the flag that's pointing at you like that and and you sort of see that the wind's right up your backside the currents the waves everything mm. and you're flying along and and we had that for one day and we got 90 miles in one day which is pretty good going we absolutely smashed it and then that was it we'd had nothing like that for the next 30 odd days and it was it was a struggle because that was our whole game, our whole game plan. Because we wanted to win the race, you know. We we went out. Uh, <laughs> it seems strange now because you think, well, hang on, you've never rowed an ocean before. You're complete non-rowers two years prior, and you want to win. You want to win this race. That there's several other teams, you know. Uh, we're just four Yorkshiremen. We're just like, yeah, we're gonna. Well, you know, what else are we gonna do? We'll tell people we're gonna. We want to win it. We're going all out. Uh, and that's great for the sponsors, you know, because they're like, oh, these guys are serious. And, and we were serious. So our whole um, strategy was let's head south, not not west towards, <laughs> towards the finish line. We're going to head south first, pick up the trade winds. We were sort of further south at that time of year. Pick up the trade winds first and then smash it straight across. And we did that. We got south. So obviously the other teams had augmented the distance a bit more than us, picked up this... Uh, picked up these trade winds and, and conditions and we were getting messages, oh, guys, you're smashing it, fastest boat in the fleet, 90 miles a day, and then that was it. And then we just <laughs> rode, we just rode in, in a, on a sea of, of mercury, um, this, this you know, almost one-ton boat uh, rowing through syrup in 30-degree heat for the next 30 days. It was, wow. it was tough. It was a tough, just with that limp flag at the back of the boat, oh. just like... And it sort of comes up, oh, is that the wind? No, it's not the wind. It's just the wind. <laughs> so, yeah, my boat's a bit more, um, it's a bit more low profile, so it doesn't, it isn't affected by the wind as much. Um, and so it's better for coastal rowing because obviously, if you're rowing, if you imagine rowing around the British mainland, you've got, you know, uh, north, east, south, and west to, to cover. So you've got to put up with whatever wind is thrown at you. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that this boat will be will, will act a bit better in in those conditions. Um, and I'd have, I would say that the boats are self-writing as well, so you have to carry emergency uh, water on board. You make your own water, but you have to carry. I can't remember how many hundred liters or maybe more of water. <clears throat> Bizarrely, that the 
our year that the race sponsor got they got sponsored with bottles like just the small half liter bottles so we had 200 of these bottles in the in the bilge if you like um as ballast uh, ah, yeah. so that if the boat did tip for whatever reason as long as the cabin doors are shut and we don't fill the water the boat will just bloop, just pop straight back over yeah, right, and, eh? and self right mate it sounds uh, it sounds like a crazy a crazy time um so you, you get sponsors for this race um is the race every year it's the same sort of thing every year yeah so it, it's i think it started early 2000 um and there was just i mean it used to be even more epic i mean you used to have to. Be, there weren't there weren't such things as ocean rowing boats. Mm. So guys were like, right, we're going to take part in this race. We're going to build our own ocean rowing boat, and you know we'll design it, we'll build it, and hopefully it will, you know, put up with the conditions that are thrown at us. And so you turned up at the start line. There's people with different design types of boats that made out of plywood and 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 fiberglass or whatever, um, and then bring it up to 2005. I think um, Ben Fogel and James Cracknell. Uh, James Cracknell's an Olympic medalist rower. Ben uh, Ben Fogel's a I don't know. He's he, he's a sort of prominent uh, TV presenter these days. I think he was on uh, Castaway okay. way way back when the old yeah. Anyway, nice 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 enough bloke. And um, he, he they did a documentary about rowing across the ocean. And again, I think they were both quite naive about it, um, especially Ben. But James, obviously with his rowing background, I think he was naive about certain things as well. But um, uh, since since then, it's the popularity is sort of like oh, I, I think I'd like to do that, and, and more adventurous people have have got engaged. And then um, Atlantic campaigns uh, started a, a a biannual race, um, so it was every two years, and they were getting like ten or fifteen boats maybe to to do to do crossings, and that's just built up until our year. Uh, it became annually, and there is, I think our year was. I mean, it's a global it's a it's a global event. So you've got various different nationalities. Our year, we had an Australian woman called Michelle Lee, who's just literally landed in Australia, having crossed the Pacific Ocean from South America. Wow! Which is like unbelievable. She was two hundred plus days at sea. So yeah, check Michelle Lee. I'm, I'm, she'll probably be all over the news at the minute, but um, she did it as a solo in our year. We had Americans, Spanish, Dutch. The Brits. So we had twenty-eight boats in our fleet. Far out. Subsequent years, it's it's gone up to like 40, 50 boats. So it's it's one of these sports, a bit like spearfishing in Britain. It's getting more and more popular. And I think it's one of those things that if you see it, you can be it. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Row, row, what rowing ocean? What are you talking about? Like, oh no, look, these people have done it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like at our at the time we did it, the sort of statistics we were putting out to sort of get sponsors engaged of how a unique sport is and how elite we were seeking to be um, was that uh, more people have been in space than rowed an ocean. Uh, more people climb Everest every year than have ever rowed an ocean. And I think at the time we were like 1,500 around about that mark of people who had ever rowed an ocean. And when you talk about Atlantic Pacific, there's even less people have rowed both. You know, it's it gets more more niche. So, yeah, it's certainly a, a, an elitist not elitist and it's an elite category of people you know yeah. i don't want to say it's elitist because anybody from all types of backgrounds uh, could do it i think but it does take a lot of money mm. a lot of sponsorship to, to get there we raised eighty thousand pounds in corporate sponsorship before we raised a penny for charity you know we raised uh 
30, 40,000 pounds for charity there after that. So it was, but it became like a, became a second job. You know, we, we were both, we, that's the other difficult thing. You've got these two years of training, you've got to get these four guys together and we've all committed to this, you know, to each other in this epic undertaking, but you've got to raise sponsorship. You've got to do your job. You've got to drop the kids off. Yeah. You've got to go on family holidays. You've got to get training done. Who were some of your most generous benefactors? Your corporate sponsors. Oh wow, yeah. So like, your it, it was weird because we thought we're a military team mainly, um, and it was 2018, so it was like the hundred years since the end of the First World War. Right, this, this military angle is really going to work for us. We'll go down that way. But it was actually the fact that we were a Yorkshire team, and it was local businesses. You know, the people oh, around you that, that wanted to support you. They were like, "This is epic," and it's it's almost like the pride of Yorkshire is is in these four lads, and we want to make sure it works. Oh, that's cool. And yeah, I mean, we were at an event and this guy um, from a, a company called Rescues, like a, just a, uh, say just a, a, like a tele, telemarketing company. And uh, he just came up, he's like, so what, what's what's this? What, what do you need? And, like, oh. and at the time we were like very shy about it. It was like, we didn't know how to approach things. We're like, oh, can we have some money, please? Because we want to row an ocean. And, uh, you know, we didn't really have a great sales pitch. And he's like, we had, had some things written down. He's like, Right, what, what's this? 15,000? Right, right. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll give you 15,000 pounds. We were just like, what? Oh, wow, amazing. And, and once it's the old chicken and egg scenario, we didn't yeah. have a boat, but we needed sponsorship to buy the boat. It's hard to get sponsorship if you haven't got a boat. Yeah. So it was like this, this sort of trouble. But we came up with a mantra, and I think Duncan came up with it. It was um, shy ducks get no bread. You know, um, <laughs> it's like it, 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 it did become our, our slogan. We, we we should have had it on our back. Shy ducks get no bread, and it was like in a Yorkshire accent. Shy ducks get no bread, <laughs> and uh, it was just it, we just became cheekier and cheekier. I love and, it. And people, people, uh, one I think um, CNG, a gas, uh, a gas sort of um, an energy company. I think they purchase and sell gas commercially, and unfortunately, I think due to COVID, they've actually. Um, they've they've not gone bust, but they've sort of disappeared now. But uh, they were brilliant. It was a, a mother and sort of son team. This this that built this huge business, and uh, we were sort of talking to her. And she's like, "Do you know what? Wouldn't CNG on like next to the solar panels and on the back of the boat? Wouldn't that look really cool?" And she was like, well, "What are you thinking?" And we were like, "Ah, oh, uh, twenty thousand. And she looked at us and looked at the boat, and she was like, "Are we doing this?" And we're like. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, we're doing this. And we like shook hands and it was just like, <laughs> and then that, that, that support <laughs> just became, uh, it became the making of the whole thing really because yeah. I sort of, uh, behind the backs of the other guys, I sort of went around and messaged everyone. I said, look, we're going to be, we're going to be mid-Atlantic over Christmas and New Year. It'd be really nice if we could get a message, video message from you guys. If you send it to me, I'll, I'll put it all together and I'll give it to the lads. Oh, and it was it was amazing because everybody, the whole company, the CNG, they all got in the office and they were all shouting like "Merry Christmas" and oh, "Welcome to Yorkshire." It was just it was like the the this ocean rowing family extended past these four guys on the boat, and you, you've got a tracker on board, and uh, I think it's Yellow Bricks Racing is the app. You can track the like um, Atlantic uh, crossings as well as the Clipper Yacht Race and things like that. Yeah. So just to know that people were watching our little dot progress across the Atlantic it was like um having you know having family on board all the time and um some of the other crazy things that happened during the campaign we had um 
I don't know how the connection is. There's, there was a bizarre connection between Will's family and the, the king of Bhutan. <laughs> and and I, I don't know how it all works out. But anyway, the, the prince of Bhutan sent us a, a message and it was it was like listening to, you know, one of these really relaxing podcasts uh, or like uh, audios where the guy's talking like this and you're going to go to sleep. And he was just like, I want to wish the three, uh, the four Yorkshiremen the best of luck. And it, it was... So we like we put the Bhutanese flag on the boat, and it was just like we've got the whole of Bhutan following us. Oh, amazing. that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> and then uh, and James Corden, James Corden did a yeah. message for us. Like, oh wow! Know, it was just like all these things are happening, and this was happening while we were on the boat. We sort of it was just like oh, the whole world's following us. It was just oh, yeah, it was cool. amazing. So many amazing things happened, um, and yeah, so special. And then to to come back and see people and thank people and. That was that was just as good as, as doing it. Yeah, it's amazing. Far out. So you got a couple of Instagram profiles. I've got your personal, but you've also got adventures underscore per underscore mayor. Um talk, yeah. talk about this this military slogan for a second. Where you're Yeah. yeah. So uh per mayor. So the the military the, the mili- it is a bit of a nod back to the, the Royal Marines. So the Royal Marines motto is per mayor per teram. Which is by sea, by land, which obviously it's an amphibious force, and so you know we, we we get it done on both by sea, by land. So uh, although that sort of chapter is maybe close to me, uh, uh, the the adventures per mare, you know, the per mare side of things by sea is is going to continue for me. Yeah. And so I wanted to have this sort of slight nod back to back to the military, but also open up um, possibilities within the ocean rowing and the spearfishing side mm. for me, and and hopefully for other people. And uh, I, I thought, I'm, the, the way I see it is the, the the coastal rowing. I'd love to row around Great Britain, and the, you better believe I'll be taking my spearfishing gear with me. Yeah, you know, because the the coastline, especially the west, south, and west coastlines, are unbelievable. I'm hoping that people will text me where all the best spots are, so that I can, you know, I don't starve on the way around. <laughs> I can subsidise my food, but it, initially, it's, it's a platform for 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 whatever I want to do, basically. And I'm hoping to offer it out as like sort of adventurous expeditions. Okay, you're, you're a spear fisherman. Okay, why don't we go and row around the Scottish Isles yeah. and do spear fishing? Oh, I love live it. Off, live, almost like live off the land, like oh. you would if you were hunting elk or deer. Sign like me up. We're going to live, live off the sea. Sign me up. <laughs> so that, that's, that's something I want to, to ask you, actually. Like, if you were going to, if there's a particular part of the Australian coastline or um, that you could see and it's unique you know you, you're going to see it from the sea you're going to see the coast but you're also going to hunt and live uh at sea with that as, as the backdrop what where would you want to row around or to or it's a really good question um i've seen a little bit of australia now i'm from new zealand originally i i would like this i have a romantic affair with western australia now like i just cannot really get past it um i haven't done the southwest australia now i live in eastern australia um but <laughs> so I, do they know yeah no, no, i love i love east australia <laughs> too but i tell you what the back to basics boys they did a um they've kind of both of them have covered the east coast that part on their boats and various adventures in a whole bunch of different ways so i feel like i've vicariously seen a lot of it however Remote west, northwestern, or even sort of central western, and then keep going north. That would be amazing. Um, there's so many parts of the coastline. Seeing it in a rowboat 
we could jump out and go spearing every day for a couple of hours, that would be something yeah. else too. I reckon that'd be cool. Yeah, I think there's, but that's that's the different. Like nobody's doing this at the minute. Um, I like it. And it you there's got one it. thing from from like you know chartering a boat and going out and and uh, and going to your favorite spots and stuff like that and then coming back in. Yeah, you could probably you know hop from harbor to harbor or in a but to physically do it yourself. Yeah, and and you know it's it's it's, it's sort of a, a, a bigger challenge. Yeah, and I think because of that, you'll probably get more out of it, um, and especially for like it'll be harder for for non rowers who, who are just spear fishermen. But you know, hoping you'll have an experienced uh, rower on board, um, and and there's, I think there's enough I can sort of teach to be able to do those well, stuff. Though, so that you're a rowing instructor as well, aren't you? So I'd imagine like. You could yeah, kind so of like an indoor if, indoor rowing coach. So, and that's where the foundation of it mm. is. It, it starts on on indoor. I've done um, like a I did a CrossFit level level two. You know, for for sort of strength and conditioning programming. And I think yeah. one thing I wanted to mention when you mentioned about useless people uh, about uh, picking on certain things. I think one thing that that taught me uh, strength and conditioning was, you know, some people just can't physically do things and you start looking at someone doing a squat and you're like, oh my God, this is an absolute mess. I'm like, where, where do I start? Yeah. And you've just got to pick up on that one thing, just pick on one thing yep. and get that right. And then you can pick up on another thing and get that right. Yep. So, you know, they, they can't get the depth, the toes are turning in, right? What's the most important thing, right? Let's get the weight in the heels. Let's at least, let's at least get that. It doesn't matter how deep they go. Just start with, just start with something somewhere and it makes you a better coach as well. Yeah. You know, it'd be great if somebody just come in and goes, oh, I'm going to, pay you to be a PT and you go, oh, well, your form's all perfect. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, uh, I'll take the money, but, you know, it's, how, what's no good for you is in your development, is it? So I think if, maybe if you approach that from that perspective, like what can I learn from teaching this person? I think there's a, I can't remember what the mantra is, like when uh, one person teaches, two people learn, the student yeah. and the teacher. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that's, if you 100%. think of it like that. Yep. That's a really good way to go about it, I think. But yeah, so the Adventures Premier, it's it's a new concept, I think. Um, and it, it, it I'm right at the start of the journey. It's it's a startup. Um, the guys at Spiro Hangout are like uh, are super keen. I was like, oh, oh, should we run? I'm keen. We could run, <laughs> we could row across to Guernsey, and they're like, yeah, let's do that. And I'm like, right, let's just. I'm going to build this up. I want to make sure that everything's in place, all the safety aspects. I've got courses I'm doing day skipper and and some uh, free diving, that spearfishing course and things like that. Because by the end of it, I want to be able to offer a, a really something really cool that people can feel safe in, and and obviously that's where it'll grow from. There, people will want to do it. And I think spear fishermen, uh, spearos in general, are quite adventurous anyway. Yep. You know, and so I think they will jump on that concept quite well. I, I think. think I think there's a few things you could do. I just if I get to riff on your idea for a minute. I yeah, think go for it. I, I think like depending on the length of the trip that they wanted to come out for, right? You you could custom design or you could have these pre-made online coaching things that help them build up their rowing fitness. Um yeah. which you've probably already thought of. But I mean if I'm going out no. for if I'm going <laughs> yeah, out, I did, yeah. if I'm already going out for that. a five day trip and then Glenn sends me like a twenty eight day training package and I and you tell me, hey, if unless you do commit to doing this training, you yeah. uh, you're really yeah. gonna die, right? Yeah, that's um, great. That's perfect. And then the other thing you could probably do is just say, "Hey guys, you need to have done at least a level one freediving course or something that that gi- yeah. that gives you an idea of their competence, their ability." 
yeah, yeah. definitely. That's and that's that's where I want to be. I want to be I want to be competent on the water as a skipper, and I want to be a competent uh, spearfishing buddy. You know, I, I do like to do stuff on my own and 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 go out with with friends and what like. But what does a competent spearfishing buddy look like? It's a bit more, I think, than just a friend that you're going diving with. Um, so I want to get to that. But no, that's that's perfect. And I think initially, just the ocean rowing side of things, I thought, well, if I targeted people at rowing clubs that have already got that rowing ability, but I might have an adventurous streak and want to do a holiday, you know, around that. But I think what I would say is, if 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 you wanted to get involved, get yourself down to the local rowing club because honestly, it, it's such a nice way of keeping fit as well. You know, you've got the indoor side of things. It's low. Um, low impact. I'm going to be real Sorry. honest with you, Glenn. I'm one of those guys on a rower. Like if you put me up next to anyone for a minute, even two minutes, I've, I can flog most people. But beyond yeah. like three, four, even when I'm fit five minutes on a rowing machine, even yeah. keeping up yeah. like a two-minute 500-meter average or minute 50 or something yeah. like that, yeah. I start to really struggle. I'm going to be honest with you. Oh. So how do you get past that consistency or – yeah, that's that's a good question. It's a, like I, I was probably the same. I was the you know all out. I mean, there's a couple of things on this. Uh, one is like training for an ocean row is is very difficult, and, and people do it differently. And our mantra or our ethos was to keep the old like strength and conditioning going all around general sort of strength conditioning fitness. But the rowing wise, I don't know whether we maybe, we maybe did too much. I don't know, but I was going from just doing a five k to doing a two hour row every day. And my sort of splits were like between two and 205 per 500 meters, which which is good. And you sort of really low stroke rates, 22 strokes per minute yeah. is a sort of a, a, a steady row uh, on, a, on an ocean row. But that's that's where you're sort of looking at. And uh, Duncan Duncan was at a different level to the rest of us. He's sort of rowing the marathons and he's, he's at that level. And that's an extra hour. You know, you're talking another, another hour on top of that. So, but what what I would say is, it, the the more you can focus on your technique, um, the easier the the longer rows are. And we did um, we got the kids' school involved, and I managed to get sixteen rowing machines together. We took them into the school, and uh, and and we give the kids a blast on it, like you know, sort of a bit of a competition between them all. And um, it was a three minute blast. And the girls, because they were focusing more on the technique, would were, were smashing the boys because they were going full on this is all about the arms it's got nothing it's, it's mainly your leg yeah and they were just ripping ripping it for 30 seconds and then they were dying yeah and um where the girls are just trying to like oh yeah yeah keep it nice and steady and, and it was like yeah you know so technique wise and and the, the rowing club will help with that in terms of technique they'll get you know they, they do packages like four day you go the four days that you can and you'll go from never rowing They'll get you on a machine. They'll have a look at your technique, and they'll sort that out. Then they'll get you on the water. And the next thing, you're rowing with these group of people, uh, and and they're very patient and and very helpful. And you'll do like a five k row up and down the river, and it's a beautiful way of 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 training. You know, you're out in in the open in wildlife. You've got bloody kingfishers diving into the water, and you know uh, birds tweeting and whatever. And yeah, it's a really nice way to. So I think if I could help that. You know, if, if you're serious about coming on an ocean rowing um, or a, a coastal rowing spearfishing expedition, why don't you get yourself down to a local rowing club and, you know, you come on board knowing how to to row a little bit as well, you know. So, but yeah, that's a really good idea of getting people engaged early on. Um, yeah. 
well, they can make, thought, a, make the, it the part of the package. Wise, yeah. yeah, spearfishing yeah. wise, I think that was something I'd like. I'd aspire to to take people out with that down the line. Oh. And that was my initial thought. Was you know, um, well, there's no point in waiting for them to get here before I tell them about all the kit and all the safety stuff. And this, we can put packages together that we can either do something like this on teams where I can put it all across and yeah. then go. So yeah, there's. That's a really good point, and I'll, I'll look into that. Um, sure. Can I can I tell you about my Australian? Uh, you can. Like, like in, you encounters, can. Uh, and I'm I'm going to do an Australian accent. Yeah, as well, love so it. I love I, it. I think you I think you like you always like to hear that. So we were mid Atlantic, and um, you, you don't see very much out there other than the wildlife and things. And every now and again, you get the uh, you get a, a boat or something in the distance. And uh, this particular morning, the seventh of January, it was two thousand nineteen. Saw this mast light in the in the distance behind us, and we could tell it was approaching us. And it was a it looked like a small yacht. And we looked on the AIS, and it was it was a, a small yacht called Bowtie Lady. We're like Bowtie Lady, that's a funny name. So anyway, we we thought we'll we'll get on we'll get on and speak to them because they were getting closer. Thought oh, they're coming to check us out. This will be really cool. So we're like, oh, uh, Bowtie Lady, this is Victory, which is the name of our boat, uh, uh, radio check. And then it, it was a, an Australian guy. And uh, you obviously could tell by the accent that we were, we were British. And he comes on and he goes, bloody hell, what are you crazy poms doing out here? <laughs> and we're like, oh, uh, we're, we're rowing across the Atlantic. Um, you know, we're a, we're a team of four from Yorkshire. We're rowing across the Atlantic. Yeah. And um, but that, that was the last thing we said, really. It was like, all right, well, uh, enough about you. Here's a little bit about me. Uh, I don't know whether he was just like, ripping us, but it, it, it all became about him. And his name's, t- uh, my name's Tony Mowbray, and uh, this is Bowtie Lady. And he just told the whole his whole life story, and this guy was unbelievable. He, he'd picked up the boat from Sicily, and he'd gone through Gibraltar, and he was crossing the Atlantic to go to Panama and then Australia. He's been around the world God knows how many times. And he, he'd, he'd, bought, he'd sold this boat, and uh, I sold this boat, and then this guy had it, and he died of cancer. So his wife begged me to buy it back, so I bought it back, and uh, and now I'm doing this again. And it, it just it just changed the morale on the boat. And um, because I was coming on to speak to you, I thought, I wonder what Tony Mowbray's up to. Uh, <laughs> so I, I messaged him, and he graciously agreed to to do a Zoom call with us, and we did it the other night. And honestly, it could have been a podcast in itself. Yeah, because and he just. And it was the same thing. It was just we couldn't get a word in edge face. <laughs> he just told us everything he was doing, what he'd been doing, what he'd been up to. He was in the south. He was in Chile, and and that that the topography down there looks unbelievable. Yeah, you know, and what, how he was describing it's untouched, unexplored, and it's like Norway. You know, all that, the, the 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 fjords, inlets, and islands and stuff like that. It sounds amazing. Um, wow. But yeah, it was so cool. It just lifted the whole boat because I think we were in a bit of a a rut at that point we'd done christmas we'd done new year and we were sort of like uh we weren't winning we were sort of sat in i think sixth place at the time we pulled we pulled a place back before we got to the end and uh yeah it boosted our morale so much and but it just sort of emphasized that community the maritime community you know it, it just uh you sort of realize actually we aren't alone out here and if if something did happen people would, would break their backs to come and help you, you know? And it's, although that's maritime law, I don't think it needs to be law. I think it's just, it's just, uh, it's just what people would do, you know? He sounds a little bit like a character off Waterworld or something, you know? 
he is. I think he's in his sixties now. Wow. But, um, he's just an absolute. I think Duncan asked him uh, uh, how many nautical miles have you got under your belt, and he couldn't answer the question because. Uh, and I said, I, I think all of them, Duncan. <laughs> I, think I think he's done them all. He's he's like say so he's been around and he does solos. You have to you have to just Google Tony Mowbray, yeah. Australian sailor or whatever. And you, it'll come up. He, he's uh, some of the stuff he's done. He's 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 an absolute legend. Yeah, really cool. Wow, I'm but, and, that, and that that sort of stuff happened a couple of times. Um, we had a another boat pass us another yacht, uh, Alejandra. I think the name was beautiful. Uh, like I don't know, it was sixty foot yacht, all like polished, and uh, the, the sails weren't up because there wasn't any wind, as I, as I said, but they're sort of motoring along past us. And they looked like they were having an absolute amazing time on board. And we were sort of like disheveled, tired, hungry. <laughs> and they came past and they were like, oh, the, the, there was like girls on there in bikinis and woo, waving at waving us like, do you want some food? And we were like, oh, yeah, we want some food. Yeah, that'd be amazing. And we're like, actually, no, we, we're not allowed because we're an unsupported crossing. Yeah. We can't accept any support. Otherwise, it's not an unsupported crossing. And, but before we said anything, they came out with bags of food and stuff, and you could see there was like fresh fruit pouring out of it, and they had a bottle of wine in the hand, and we were sort of like, no, sorry, no, we can't take it. And they were they were close to just throwing the bottle of wine at us, I think, because they were like, no, you've got to have this. And it was Will's birthday as well. It was just after like early January, and, and we didn't accept it. But... Yeah, they were on on the way to Florida, and it just looked. I thought, actually, that's that looks like a better way to cross the Atlantic. <laughs> they brought your morale down again. Yeah, 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 a little bit. Hey, buddy, how's your breath hold going? Really, you struggling? I do too sometimes, and that's why. I've got something perfect for you today. I think you'll agree with me when I say that maintaining or even increasing your breath hold is a struggle, especially when you're not slaying fish every week. But what if I told you there was a way to train yourself easily and do it safely? Freediving for Spearfishers at howtofreedive.com will help you to extend your breath hold, understand your body better, and put you in a better position when you actually get to go out spearfishing. This program, Freediving for Spearfishers, is not for noobs. Uh, it's for people who have some diving under their belts and understand basic spearfishing safety. But it's perfect for spearos who want a guided, easy to follow and complete program with videos, a clear process and a set goal. The goal is a five minute static. And check it out, freediving for spearfishers at howtofreedive.com. You can get started for free, do the taster. And if you do decide to purchase, use the code NOOBSPEARO, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O to save some money if you do decide to purchase. Check it out at howtofreedive.com. Did you know when coming up from a spearfishing dive, it's possible that you would feel 100% fine right until the moment you blacked out? Did you know being dehydrated or hungover increases your risk of having a blackout? Did you know I have never seen a person hit the surface and yell, Tad, help, I'm about to blackout, come save me. No, they typically hit the surface, take a couple breaths, and then quietly sink into the abyss. Whether they live or die is 100% dependent on if you are close enough to grab them and take care of the situation. Did you know it's very easy to have a loss of motor control or a minor blackout and not even know that you had one? Did you know that if you have a loss of motor control or blackout and you continue diving that day, you are way more likely to have a much worse blackout? 
Did you know breathing across the eyes of a blackout diver can help initiate a breathing response? That was 60 seconds with me. What else don't you know? My name is Ted Hardy, the founder of Immersion Freediving, and I want to do more to stop the needless fatalities from shallow water blackout than any other person on the planet. And that's why I created freedivingsafety.com. Lucky for you, I made it very easy to get up to speed. You can learn how to reduce your risk of having a blackout, how to save your buddy's life, how to tell if you're wearing too much weight, and avoid breathing techniques that drastically increase your risk of having a blackout, and it's all for free. Go to freedivingsafety.com and sign up for my free safety course. Dive safe out there. It's not even that hard, especially when you learn for free at freedivingsafety.com. Friends, check out oldmanblue.com.au. It's quality made dive gear right there in the Western Australia by a really cool team. The Old Man Blue team are a very experienced bunch of frothing spiros that live the life and have done so for a number of years. Check it out at oldmanblue.com.au. Awesome to hear about this whole adventure, Glenn. Um, I wanted to chat about uh, about your spearfishing in, in Northern Wales because um, yeah, yeah. I haven't really had anyone on from Wales. I mean, I've, I've chatted to people from Devon and Cornwall and, yeah. you know, and the, yeah. the Spearfishing UK boys, but I haven't really dug into Wales. Tell, I've had a yeah, look at your well, Instagram, though. The, the viz looks like pretty doable at times. Oh, I mean, uh, some uh, some of the viz is amazing. Uh, it's uh, it's a bit of a secret, actually. I think we don't want too many people coming to, to the Welsh, North Welsh coast, but um, – it's yeah. So the, the particular bit I'm, I uh, spear off is um, it's called the Chlin Peninsula. Um, it's a double L, which in Welsh is a ch, ch sound. So it's like the Chlin Peninsula, okay. and it's it's a sort of couple hundred mile long peninsula that sticks out in the northwest tip of Wales. You've got Anglesey at the top, and then it's this finger down pointing basically at Ireland, and all along that coast, it's like a historical, uh, what would you call it, like. Um, it's just it, it's a, a national trust coastline basically so it's it's very well looked after um good walking routes and stuff like that but it's just a series of little sandy bays followed by cove after cove after cove like rocky coves and the the terrain underwater is extremely good um mm. stringy weed and kelp and you don't need to go particularly far to find decent shoals of sea bass and mullet pollock and that's the predominant fish that, that I'm hunting this year. I want to I want to focus on the flatfish species because I haven't yet speared a flatfish, and it's sort of like, well, why haven't I looked at that? So that's something I'm into. But um, yeah, it's a bit more difficult in terms of access and egress. So you've got to think about that from a safety perspective. Like, how am I going to get down to this mark here when mm. it's it's pretty steep cliffs and stuff like that? So just just a bit more planning and preparation. But the good thing about it is because it sticks out to the west. You've always got options. If you've got a northerly, you've got shelter in the south. If you've got southerlies, you've got shelter in the north. So there's always a you know option to, and it, it, you'll be surprised how many times I've gone to the south coast and gone, oh yeah, it's a write off. The water's brown and it's it, it's it's choppy. Go to the north coast, it's flat, calm, and and the vis is, is good. Mm. So yeah, visibility wise, you, I, I actually quite like hunting in 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 lower vis conditions because I think. The fish that, that that I'm hunting, especially the sea bass, because they are sort of predatory, they will come quite close because they want to know where you are for a start. Because I, I don't know whether you look like a seal to them or what, but they want to know where you are and they're like, what are you doing? Is there a feed going on here? So, I mean, I've speared fish at like almost at the tip of my spear because uh, they've come so close and decent-sized fish as well. So and I think if you can hunt in those conditions, 
then I think that, that sort of helps your hunting skills more. Uh, and I'm focusing more and more on that and less on the sort of trying to get go deeper and longer and stuff. I'm, I'm focusing yeah. on the, the hunting and, and the, specifically the shot placement mm-hmm. for me is, 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 is paramount because I want to save as much meat on the, on the fish that I can, as well as an ethical kill, if you like, and get, yeah. get that, that fish dispatched as, as quickly as possible. Um, so yeah, I, I think most most sort of noob spearos, and I'm still a bit bit of a noob spearer. That you, you want to get out there and you want to spear a fish, and you, you look less at the legislation on sizes and things, and more of I want to be able to get this uh, video on YouTube of me spearing a fish. <laughs> Whereas you know, experience again, I'm more about the if I don't spear a fish, I, I don't care. I'm, it's all about the experience and what I get from the build up, the 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 dive and the aftermath and. You know, I, I quite happily write my little dive report afterwards about where I went, what I did, maintenance of kit. It's just, it's all that. It's bringing me back to that marine mindset, you know, of 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 being on an exercise. You go out, you, you do this exercise, you, you get the job done, then you come back and you deservice your kit before you think about, oh, I might go for a kip or get some food down or whatever. Maintain maintenance of your kit and things like. That. So yeah, it's just the whole thing. But North Wales is it's a bit of an untapped resource, I think, in Britain. It's obviously getting more popular. And uh, the fish are just maybe a little bit less prevalent. The shoal sizes, I've not seen anything like they're getting down there. But again, I think that makes you a better hunter if you're having to deal with smaller shoals of fish and solitary fish, you know. So, but they're still getting good sized fish as well. Yeah. Yeah. I saw your 4.4 pound mullet. I was like, holy moly, that's a big mullet. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited in that yeah. video. I took a little video. I'd, I wasn't even after mullet. I was after lobster because I was quite shallow. Yeah. Uh, it was maybe like um, a meter and a half water, if that. I was after lobster in, in, and I sort of noticed. I think, oh, I'm sure I just saw a fish while right, I get the spear going out. And I had my GoPro on my torch because I was trying to get a lobster out of the hole. So I just chucked the GoPro on the uh, on the float, got the gun out. And as soon as I got down, this huge mullet just came in front of me. I sort of like, you know, at an angle managed to get this shot off. And uh, when I pulled it off, I was like, oh, it, it it was towards the end of the year, so fattening up, I think, before the winter, so it was heavy. I pulled it out of the water and my spear was bending. And I know that, you know, you guys are getting some crazy, massive fish, but that to me was an absolute monster. Yeah. And I, maybe it was a bit too excited on, on the video because nah. I was like, look how, look how thick it is. I can't wait to weigh this one. Sort Mate, of. the best thing to be around is blokes that are just excited, you know, like yeah. I don't really – I could not give two shits what's on the end of your spear most of the time. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes guys shoot fish that I can only dream of, and sometimes guys shoot like fish that I don't even shoot anymore because I'm not excited about it. But they're yeah. absolutely frothing. It's such good energy to be around. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something I learned from the because I'm quite a introverted. Um, I'm quite a deep thinker, and I, I like. I maybe struggle a little bit with this sort of thing because I, I do like to. I think about the words that I use and um, and maybe I, I, I think a bit too much, but I sort of learned that if, if you smile when you, like when you're doing like a Facebook person, if you just smile, and that's the same with rowing, if you smile, it relaxes your shoulders and, and you're actually putting out positive energy without realizing it. And that, yeah, and in, in rowing, that, that's a really good thing. Here's a, a bit of NLP yeah, sort of, to that. <laughs> so you're hanging out on a rowing machine and your coach is like, smile, smile. And you're like, why is he telling me to smile? I'm sweating. I've got another 2K to do. I'm hanging out. And he's like, and he, there's a reason. He's like, it relaxes your shoulders. 
you smile, you automatically relax your shoulders and it helps you with your rowing yeah. stroke. And it's like, all oh, right, okay. So, <laughs> so you sat you sat there sweating, pouring with sweat with a like a forced grin on your face trying to row. Yeah, you, I think it works for everything. Have you read much into neurolinguistic programming? No, no. What's one of that's one of the concepts that you sort of learn about, and this is just one of them. Like, um, there's a whole bunch of these kind of ways you can um, manipulate your own psychology and others too, if you want to use it in a bad way. But um, you know, it can be good for a whole bunch of different things. But that's cool. It's interesting to see yeah. it resurface in a different sport in a different in a different way. Yeah. Very so cool. th- this this time of year now in in Britain coming uh, up to, towards May. Uh, the spider crabs are coming in, so they come in to breed in the shallows. And uh, it's strange because I've, I've been I've been going to Wales for twenty odd years. I've never looked at spearfish. I didn't even know we did it in this country. I've been snorkeling. I'd seen a bit, um, but that's the other thing about spearfishing is just it's given me something else to learn and uh, about. I love to read up about different species and, and why they're doing what they're doing and why they're where they are. I tried to tell my mate, like, oh, we'll go, we'll go and get some spider crabs. I said, well, how do you know where to find them? I said, you don't need to know. I said, honestly, it's like picking apples from a tree. I said, you dive down and they're just everywhere. And he was like, he didn't believe me. I said, honestly, I said, so they're all fighting over the best spots to like to mate and stuff like that. I said, we want to get some big male crabs. And you go down, you pick up a male crab that's fighting another male crab, you know, spider crab, you know, you got two for one. And he, he couldn't believe it. it was so simple. I was like, and that. You're in a meter deeper water. I said, honestly, it's the food's there. It's right there for you. Let's go and get it. Yeah. I saw you with your kids, like in your um, Instagram, that you're taking them out to do it as well. And it doesn't even yeah. look like you're wearing like warm, warm gear a lot of the time. I'm <laughs> well, just like, holy moly, these guys are tough. Well, to be fair, my daughter is she's super tough. She she doesn't like wearing a wetsuit. She she hates it. And the water this time of year, I mean, it's like nine degrees. So it's pretty, it's pretty nippy, especially on your face when you, when you get in. Um, but she's, uh, yeah, she loves, and she'll go out. She, I think she's a bit like me. I, I, I never used to wear a wetsuit going to Wales and snorkeling. I'd be out there and I'd come back blue because yeah. I'd been out for like an hour and I was wearing a pair of, not speedos, but like swimming, swimming shorts. Yeah. And, uh, I just, I don't know if I just didn't feel the cold or I was just so excited to be there. I just forgot that was cold. That's and, cool. But yeah, she's the same as Harry. He needs every bit of kit, the gloves, the, the socks. He hasn't got a hood yet, but they are super keen and they don't moan about the rain and stuff like that. Or that, that particular dive we went in, uh, there wasn't much about and uh, they'd got out early and just this little cove. So that's the other thing about Wales. There's places there you can spend all day on your own in this like secret cove, just you and your family with a barbecue and stuff like that. That's wicked. No phone, sig- no phone signal, even better. It's just you there and uh, in nature, and they they'd got out because it was it was raining. They were a bit cold, and I was like, "Just give me twenty minutes. I'll, I'll desperate to try and get some before I came in." Um, anyway, I sort of uh, nothing to do, so I, I sort of slowly come back in, and I could hear this while I was underwater. I could hear the kids shouting from the beach, and I was like, "Oh, what's wrong?" I looked up, and they were shouting, and and they, they were sort of panicking. I was like, "Oh, what's going on?" And they were shouting behind you, behind it. I turned around. There was a huge gray seal literally right up right at the back of me and it had a tug at my fin and i i, I nearly wet myself because um, <laughs> they are i mean especially when you don't know they're there they're a big beast if if I mean, just just playing though you know you don't i've seen them quite a few times since um they're a big animal it's there it's their 
it's their uh, domain, isn't it? So you've just got to respect them. And uh, but so cool to see so close as well. And just them playing, it sort of puts you at ease a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's it's a cool coastline to to hunt for sure. Killfish with precision and power, sending shafts from a stable platform with kill shot spear guns. Made in the Florida Keys by Ed Martin, you're buying American-made dependable spear guns. Get $30 off any kill shot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Nuba. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. Ed says if they're in the shop or on the phone, they can cash in by saying, crikey, mate, or the Noob Spiro podcast sent me. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com, based in the Florida Keys. This podcast is brought to you by aqualite.com.au. This is the best solution, bar none, for staying hydrated in the ocean. If you're a Spiro, it's an absolute no-brainer. It's a game-changer. If you're doing extended trips and the cramp starts to set in and uh, the old body's telling you, hey, that's enough, just get hydrated and it will save you a whole heap of woe. It's a groundbreaking product that can help you to stay hydrated. It's got low sugar, it's less acidic than other options on the market, it's rapid absorption, help you to maintain performance. Dehydration of just one to 2% can affect your mental and physical performance by up to six or 7%. And as when you're spearfishing, you can tell when dehydration is starting to affect you because the equalization goes out the window. Get Aqualite at aqualite.com.au. It's scientific rehydration that Spiros know and trust. I know because one works there, and that's why we've set up this discount code for you. 10% off when you use the code NoobSpiro at aqualite.com.au. Check it out. Australian-made hydration products tailored for Spiros and a whole bunch of other people that suffer from dehydration too. But check it out at aqualite.com.au. Use the code NoobSpiro to save 10%. Glenn, I'm stoked we, we were able to connect, brother. It's, I've had a magic chat. I really enjoyed hearing yeah. this. is something very different from my podcast, and but I've loved it. And I I, I genuinely like the, the concept of this idea of, of, of rowing out with someone that knows what they're doing on a purpose-made yeah. vessel uh, and going on an adventure and being able to jump out doing what I love, going spearfishing, pairing it with some yeah. physical exercise – I yeah. honestly think that you've definitely got something special there. I really think it's going to be cool. Good, good. I'm glad. Um, yeah. My, I'm still waiting on my uh, um, 99 Noob Spiro oh, uh, yeah. recipes. Yeah, it's 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 in the post. I got given your um, 99 tips on spearfishing. Oh, okay. Um, I, I got that for Christmas a couple of years ago, but at the time I was starting to think that I'm getting hang of this. I'm. I'm de- and then I got that, and I was like, well, "Why do I need a ninety-nine tips?" <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit disappointed. I was like, "Come on, guys! I've been bringing sea bass and stuff back for the last summer. That's all you've been eating, like kings." But in all honesty, it was it was it was a great read, and I think any reading you can do, especially because of, you know you're coming from the Australian side of things, there's always lessons to be learned across mm. the world, and I think that's the great thing about the internet. And I mean, if you think about 20 odd years ago, nobody spearfished in the UK because we didn't know what it was. We didn't know, we wouldn't know how to do it. Mm. So we couldn't compete, you know. Um, whereas now you've, you can learn lessons from the planet, you know, and uh, it's good. To, I, I, yeah, I enjoyed the read. I, I, I took quite a few things away from it. Um, and it, it, it took me into the path of actually getting the, 
going on a course. Oh, um, cool. And, get, and getting that theory side of things, which opened my eyes again. And I'm like, and it's sort of maybe a bit of shame for me, actually, you know, sort of think that actually I've been been taking this a bit bit of liberty with this. Uh, this a bit more serious than 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 it than, than I thought. Um, and one thing I'd say was with the rowing, the ocean rowing was uh, something that a guy called Ross Edgley wrote inside the boat. He was swimming around Great Britain at the time. Someone else we bumped into on our amazing journey. So it was uh, be naive enough to start, but stubborn enough to finish. Yeah, so, uh, that's good. I think that's that was our whole mantra because we were super naive about uh, rowing an ocean. God, uh, <laughs> but when you're in it, you've got to be stubborn enough to complete it. And same could could be brought across to spearfishing. You know, be naive enough to start, but you've got to do the research and then be stubborn enough to 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 master your craft. You know, and to to know that things need to be considered and and safety and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, I'm wait, I'll get some cooking done this year and I'll I'll tag you in it. I'm not sure about the sashimi side of things, but cooking, oh. yeah, I'm, I'm a little well, you, bit of sea bass. You, you guys are get a bit of the anasarcus, uh, that the the worm that you get in the fish there. So you got to be a little bit careful, I think, in your part of the world. But you can yeah. just freeze fish for you know five seven days and then whip it out and sashimi it up as well. Um, right. Do it the wimp way though. Go go about it through ceviche, which is curing it in lime or citrus juice. You know. Um, oh right, yeah, yeah. Because that's yeah. kind of like that's a gateway drug into sashimi, and um, dry aged sashimi though, like when you get a bit of dry aged fish and you eat it raw, it's like nothing else. It's really? just oh, right. it's so. I, have to try good. It. I don't. I can't <laughs> tell you what species to try it on there. Um, Daniel Mann's always got banging stuff going on in his yeah. YouTube channel. Well, he, I think he did it with Rass, which is um, the Ballon uh, Rass. He did that recently. Ballon Rass, yeah. yeah. And it was so a promo it, for the Ninety Nine Spirit Recipes book. He's such a gentleman. Well, yeah, well, I think he did that just to sort of um, because it, it's a bit of a controversial fish in the UK yeah. in terms of spearfishing because they they tend to hang around in the same spot throughout the year and they don't leave that rock sort of thing. So it, they're quite easy to find, and once you get there, they don't tend to leave the spot, and so they say it's less of a sport. But at the end of the day, you're harvesting food that you know that's there, and as long as you do it ethically, and you're not smashing the same place all the time. Then yeah, why not take a ras? It's uh, I've I've taken ras in the past, and when I ate it, yeah, it was there was nothing wrong with it. Um, so the fish is a fish. Like a lot of like a lot of things that happen, like a, a bit of content is created. Daniel had some opinions, like that maybe the Bell and ras wasn't as um as as shit as people thought it was. Uh, yeah. And then it spawned all these conversations about, you know, what is and what isn't an ethical species to take and some of the considerations. And I read through some of the comments on YouTube, Instagram and YouTube, I think, with that. And, like, I learned a heap because Bell and Rass in different areas are under pressure for different reasons. You know, like some of them, I read one guy, they're commercially harvested, caught in traps, and then they dump them in salmon farms to clean all the lesions off the fish. Uh, and so right, they're right. actually in very poor numbers. And so they're not a fish that you should hunt in his particular area. And he's almost like encouraging commercial fishing to stop predating upon them. And then in other areas, like you say, there's this there's this nature. And with a, with a few different rat species, I believe, they, they have this territory on a patch of reef and they're slow to reproduce, yeah. slow growing. But, yeah. you know, it's like everything. Like, um, And then fish also have this other adaptive mechanism. You know, nature has equilibrium built into it. And most of the time, 
nature is able to deal with most pressures, um, it has these corrective mechanisms like, you know, like when parrotfish are hunted too much, they start hanging away from people further and become they become yeah. more difficult to hunt. Yeah. That's what I mean about yeah, one of those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that's been studied and demonstrated in a in a scientifically reviewed you know um, paper. Um, and so you know, I, I agree with you. It's like uh, learn about it, learn how that species is affected in your particular area, and then just adapt our spearfishing to well, make sure yeah. you've hit it on the nail because it, it's. I mean, I think that's what spearfishing is doing in the UK. It's trying to. It's a sport that's growing and it's a sport that it doesn't just, it's not, the companies aren't focusing on just selling spearfishing gear. They do offer uh, like information about species and, mm. and stuff like that. And and that conversation, the, the bigger it gets, the, the better it's going to be for, for everyone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think like I say, Daniel Mann brought up a good point about that fish. I, I, and it made me look into it a bit more. I didn't know that they're all born female and only a certain amount of them become male uh, uh, i think it's like after 14 years you know i was mm-hmm. like oh that's bizarre and it's like stuff that i didn't know and i like yeah, I, I love that side of things you know uh Learning. researching about your prey uh, at the end of the day the knowledge is power isn't it and the more you know about them the better you understand them i think and it's a different world the underwater world you know and it's yeah. it's funny when you start to draw similarities Rats are a really interesting family of species in different parts of the world and they share these remarkably similar characteristics in some ways and it is interesting to learn about. I love yeah. and and spearfishing. Like I, I, again, today we've chatted about you know ocean rowing, you know, and 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 yeah. potentially spearfishing while doing it. This is another yeah. one of these really interesting facets and side tracks that are present in the lifestyle of spearfishing. Some people said to me, "How do you just do a podcast about spearfishing and talk just just about spearfishing?" It's like, well, yeah. you're only limited by your imagination. Like this, exactly. You know, today we've t- touched on mental health and. You know, yeah. adventures and disconnecting, and there's so much to it. So, Glenn, yeah. it's been a pleasure, mate. You might be introverted, but you're a very thoughtful, man, and it was a great conversation. So, thank you for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm going to link up your socials. So, your um, Glenn underscore Sadler, which is G L Y N underscore Sadler on Instagram, and yeah. then they can find all yeah. your other stuff from there. But if people go yeah. to noobspero.com forward slash Glenn, G L Y N, I'm going to link up a whole bunch of stuff you can go and check out. Uh, maybe a bit about the race that they were a part of and yeah. Um, yeah. maybe some photos of Glenn taking a shit in a bucket. I don't I don't know what you're going to come across. but come I did me. have uh, – there's a photo of me being sick somewhere. I'll, I'll try and find <laughs> it. <in> the <laughs> that'd be awesome, brother. And some photos for the show notes too. That'd be magic. Um, but awesome, brother. Yeah, that'd be great. Peace. Bye now. Hey, Legend, hope you enjoyed today's episode with Glenn Sadler there, Adventures Permier on Instagram. Rowing, spearing, pooing in a bucket mid-Atlantic. Uh, one heck of a storyteller is Glenn. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I hope you did too. Uh, for now, though, uh, my wife is possibly giving birth right about now to our fourth child. So I am in the thick of it, and this outro is obviously pre-recorded um but next week i've got another frothing episode it's kelsey albert we talk about respecting the fish compassion conservation and hunting consciously 
uh, some crazy stories in there as well. So come back next week. Thanks, guys. And uh, if you want to go to patreon.com forward slash Noob join a bunch of other patron legends helping to power the Noob Spirit podcast or put food food in the old trick, as I mentioned earlier. But anyway, uh, fuel on the Noob Spirit outboard, patreon.com forward slash Noob You can support the show on an episode-by-episode basis for as little as $1 per episode, and it all helps, my friends. All right, guys, I will catch you next week. Kelsey Albert. Danny says, Adreno, you guys are ahead of the game. Price is very competitive. Customer service is fantastic. Speed of delivery from your warehouse is the best I've ever experienced. And everything I have purchased was in stock. Great experience. Highly recommend these guys for anything to do with what happens and what you need to get under the water. That review from Danny. Check him out at adreno.com.au. These guys do a fantastic job outfitting Noob Spiros from all over particularly Australia, but check them out at adreno.com.au. You can save $20 on every purchase over $200. Not only can you use it online, but you can also use it in-store. They've got two stores in Brisbane. They've got Gold Coast, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth. Check them out. They are doing good things. Adreno.com.au. Absolutely mint customer service. Specialty spearfishing equipment, elite spear gun performance components, unforgettable reliability you want to find out where to buy this? Punchaneptonics.com and shop at the best US spearfishing store, neptonics.com. Free shipping to the lower 48 when you spend over 199 and you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10%. This is your chance to save DOSH, buy deadly good gear and experience A-grade customer service. Will you shop at the best? Visit neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to start shooting 35-pound muttons tomorrow. Actual performance may differ from advertisement. Please refer to terms and conditions to see if you're eligible to be a legend-like strike. This advertisement was not even endorsed by Jerry and the team at Neutonics. Hoorah and God bless America. Mm-hmm.